How many of you guys listen to CJD? Anybody ever listen to CJD when you're driving? Few people. Some maybe you have another. I don't. You know, there's other stations. But sometimes they have this doctor on, Mitch Shulman. And you ever hear voices? You're like, what do they look like? You know. And so this is what he looks like. I figured he'd have a bow tie, just the way he talks and everything. And often he brings like uh, you know data and scientific research to something. And so this week I was driving somewhere and it was on, and he was talking, and and this this uh, they, they quoted this uh, this really extensive research project on how. Um, uh, on how people uh, that are in a, in a happy marriage uh, live healthier. But then it went on, because I guess if you're not in a happy marriage, then you don't live as healthier. But th- this is just the research. But then it went on to that, and it was just this idea that when, there's, when re- a relationship is working, it somehow it affects our body. And, uh, and then it went on beyond marriage in that like, when, when you're in healthy relationships, um, the, the need for that is so important in our lives that it actually affects our health and it affects our mindset. And, and, it, and it was interesting because you hear these guys kind of battering together, talking together and saying, well, you know, I mean, I play hockey on Tuesday night and I hang out with these guys and that's a form of community. And, and they're talking about all these forms of community. And I think the radio host said, like, whatever it is, you know, uh, go to a synagogue, go to a church, you know, go, go somewhere and, and find a sense of community there. And, I, and I, I, I was listening to that and I thought, you know, last week we talked about community and this corroborating uh, ideas that life, even as God intends for us, is healthier in community. That we become healthier with people around us. Last week we talked about this, that it, following Jesus, um, living a life of faith, growing in faith, is never something to be done alone. It's not designed for us. God has not designed us to walk in faith as a solo activity. As a solo activity. I think about, you know, Thanksgiving is, is tomorrow and many people get together. I didn't grow up like uh, doing a big thing at Thanksgiving, so it doesn't feel that way as much for me, but I get it. It's like Thanksgiving and Christmas is like, you often hear this, like no one should ever be alone on these days. And I feel the same way about faith. No one should ever walk in faith alone. No one should ever attempt to grow in faith alone. No one should ever follow Jesus as a solo activity. And we started this series the last couple of weeks and saying that we want to press refresh on our values as a church. And we, we started last week saying, that, how do we describe the church as? And last week we said we want to describe it as, initially we looked through the sketch of the New Testament, as community. That we looked at these ideas um, and what that means through, the, through Jesus and the book of Acts and Paul's letters right to Revelation, this kind of grand scheme that the church is community or the church as community. And uh, we, man, we got talking, like a lot of people shared ideas. Do you remember like your grand idea from last week? Does anyone want to throw it out? Like was it, did you have that, a, gra- a really cool idea on what it means to be the church as community? Everybody, you guys were talking last week. I swear this happened. Was I like in a dream or something? I heard the rumble. Okay, I won't put you on the spot. Um, but today I want to continue and kind of do a part two from last week before we move to other descriptions of the church as we, we want to just see renewal happen in our own church community. And I want to move forward with this topic and really start with this question. How do we get from the idea of community to become our lived identity as community? And there's, there's so many pieces to that and we, we should probably talk a few weeks on that and go super deep with it. 
But I, I, I want to go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because these, there's these pieces to this, and I want to read it together. There's these pieces here in Acts 2, 42 to 47, um, that are incredibly huge. And, and we often focus on some of them and leave some of them out. And there were some really simple ones. I thought, these are real simple things that, that can help us not only like the idea of community, but live out the identity, the heart of it. So I want to read it together, Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's, let's pray. Father, in this incredible weekend where our culture reminds us to be thankful, um, it really echoes the heart of the scriptures to call us to a life of gratitude. And we hear it there deeply. And um, so we are thankful, God, for so many parts of our lives. So many things you've brought us through, even in difficult times. And uh, God, as I think about some of the, 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 the conversations and connections that will be renewed in the next day or two, for the tables that will be filled, for the neighbors that will be welcomed, for um, 40 international students who have found a host home to have Thanksgiving in because um, Christians have opened up their homes to them, and even one family in our church. I pray, God, for the conversations there, for the sense of belonging and community that will be experienced. God, we pray you, you bring this to life in our own hearts and lives. And even as um, you brought to my attention this morning, just thinking of, um, of Chris and, and Naomi's little girl, God, we pray that you bring these ligaments and nerves and tendons to life, God, in her shoulder. We pray for that, and, and we pray for them, God, that you would be continually with them in this season. Maybe some of us here as well need that kind of prayer, God. And so even as we're praying, we invite you to be at work in us and through us. Speak as we look at this text. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the power of Acts chapter 242. I mean, it's, such a, it's a passage that so many people go back to so often. And it describes what the church was like in some ways when it first started. It's almost idealistic. It almost looks so good. Of course, when you read Corinthians, you realize they had some problems. But, um, but you, you read Acts 2 and you're like, wow, this, this is so good. This is what we pray happens. And it's this description of what it was like, this sense of what they believed and devoted themselves to, what they practiced, what they experienced, how the church really became community. At the beginning of verse 42, it describes a few things that they're devoted to as they now come into faith with Jesus. And they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer. And this one uh, thing that they're devoted to among the four is fellowship, this deep sense of relationship, this, this tie that they have with one another, this church community growing together. And the word fellowship is not just community. It really means communion or this joint participation. 
And that's why we often call the church family. Uh, that's why we often uh, call someone a brother or a sister or we read that in the scriptures because there's this deep sense of relationship that fellowship means. And the, the, the original word really means this joint participation. What it means like to almost be a family. In verse 44, it, it describes something that I think is so beautiful. And it says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It sounds idealistic. Like, wow, they were together. They were getting along. Did they never have conflict? Were there always high fives? Was there only good espresso when they got together? Um, did they love the same things and same activities? You know, like, what does that mean that they had everything in common? Did they never struggle to choose which restaurant to go to? Like, was there never a fight over that? Did they all shop at Zara and nobody bought any of their clothes? Like, did they all look alike? Um, I, no, okay, that's just not going well. But, um, um, but think about that, you know? Like, what does it mean that they had everything in common? Was it so perfect? I don't think so. I think despite the imperfections and the conflict that would eventually come, that they grew in this common bond. So it must be deeper. Christian community is beyond affinity, it's beyond, I'm connected with the curling club. It's beyond, we shop at the same store. It's beyond, we're all moms, or we're all men, or we're all youth. It's beyond that. It's more than that. It's a little bit like DNA, but not exactly, because it's not a physical DNA. I love this, this phrase that I heard years ago when I was a teenager, um, and, and someone, an older person said this. He said, blood is thicker than water. But truth is thicker than blood. This idea that there could be something that binds us together that's even stronger than blood. And I think Acts 2 reflects part of what that means, at least in two ingredients. And the first ingredient is this idea of conversion, that people came to know Jesus and their conversion, their transformation, their turning to God became something that also turned them to each other, not against each other, but to each other. But it was conversion and commitment. The first is conversion. Something transformational happened to people and it turned them towards God and it changed their hearts and their lives and it happened to each person in this community. And you can sense this even in Acts 2. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching were really relaying everything they heard from Jesus, everything they saw from Jesus, the message they heard from Jesus, the life they saw in Jesus, the example they saw in Christ, the cross and the resurrection that they experienced and saw with their own eyes. They devoted themselves to this teaching, to this gospel, to this life and teachings of Jesus. And so at the core of who they were, what made them community, what made this bond was really Jesus in their midst, shared this story right about the, this monastery last week that um, was very popular because they were doing some great things, but all of a sudden people stopped touring and going to visit. They found animosity and conflict and everything until one day someone had this vision, this rabbi had this vision of, of how this can change and told them the Messiah is among you. And they're all trying to figure out who the Messiah was. They realized that it was none of them. But that truth that the Messiah was among them started to make them think differently and treat differently each other. 
This idea of like conversion is also found in, in what it means to have fellowship because conversion connected them to each other. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. I love this verse. It says, this is John writing to this first century church. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and with Jesus Christ. Here's John saying, we proclaimed this truth, this message, the life and teachings of Jesus to you, what we've seen and heard. Why? So you might have fellowship with us. Conversion was part of their bond. Jesus was the center of this common bond and it overflowed into community. But I know, and you know, that there's many people who believe that, but they haven't nurtured community. They haven't developed relationships. They haven't learned how to love, and forgive, and grow together, and serve together. How did they build this togetherness? How did they nurture this commonness? How did they develop this new community? And I think part of the thing is it wasn't just conversion, which was the base, the foundation, the crux, the heart. But they started these new commitments. These new commitments led them to this new community. And here's verse 45 and 47. It's, we see a little bit of what they committed to, and you can go to the next slide there. And, and it's not the first, the, the, the major ones we talk about, right? The apostles' teaching, the prayer, the fellowship, um, the breaking of bread is in this part as well. But I love this phrase because it's almost like verses 45 to 47 give us like a commentary on how verse 44 takes place. How did they consider, how did they have everything in common? How did they pursue this common bond? And, and so we read here, right? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Something that they started to do and commit to and practice actually started to nurture the community that their conversion brought them into. It, it, it's almost as if it's, I, I would never say or ask the question, is conversion enough? Of course, to come to know Jesus, conversion is the heartbeat. We believe in faith in Jesus Christ. That changes us. Is faith sufficient? Yeah. Is the Holy Spirit all we need? Yes, 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 and yes. But we see, how do we respond to that? How do we nurture what God's doing? Yesterday I did a wedding, uh, officiated a wedding, um, and uh, so I was, I was officiating, and it was, it was great. It was fun. It was at a hotel um, near the airport, and it was a nice setting, and, and it, was the tip, it, was, it was perfect because people, you know, the father was crying, and the mom was tearing up, and as the bride started sharing her vows, she started crying, and someone brought her a, a tissue, and then this, the, the, the groom, who's like a really kind of strong guy, and, um, you know, just if you meet him, you're like, like, I mean, he would take me in a second, you know? And, uh, and he start you know, you see a tear come down his eye, and it's just this beautiful moment because they're getting married, right? There's no doubt that love was present. There's no doubt that they made this decision. There's no doubt that, in a sense, not a spiritual sense, they've converted to this new vocation of marriage. For sure, but let me ask you a question. Is that enough to make a great marriage? Is that day, is that moment, are those tears and that, those Kleenexes and that moment, as emotional and beautiful, is that enough to make a great marriage? 
No. Okay, God, I was waiting. I was like, I was waiting for that. Okay, good, good, good. We know that, right? We know that that's the case. We know that there's daily commitments and nurturing that relationship and practices and conversations and learning how to communicate with each other and, and understanding what forgiveness really means when your spouse hurts you. And that's, so tr- that's the crux of growing this. Not just the day, not just the moment, not just the transition. And it's the same as we see the church as community. Common practices nurture a common people. Common practices nurture a common people. And here's the first thing we read in outside of the kind of the big four in verse 42. Later on in verse 45 and on, it says that they met together. Tangibly, daily, they met together in the temple courts. They met in each other's homes. I love this. It's so simple. It's like, it doesn't sound spiritual. It does, it's like you don't need a degree to do that. You don't need to know much theology to understand that. You, it's really simple, right? They met together. That's it. That's all we, they met together. They got together often. What does that require? It requires a time and place. We did that today. Time, 10.30 a.m. Place, Church of the Resurrection in Valois Village. We had a time and place. We knew that. It was set. We carved it out in our calendar. We wanted to meet here and worship and grow and talk to each other and read the scriptures together and, and, and get closer to God. There's no substitute for meeting together. Last week, my wife and I, after our gathering, had, had lunch with... Um, people that we've known for about 15 or 16 years. In fact, maybe more than that. This couple that I actually had the privilege of baptizing them 16 years ago when they came to faith. And uh, we've slightly stayed in touch over the, year, over the years. We haven't got, gotten the chance to get together as much, but I bumped in to um, the wife of that couple back in the summer, um, and we were talking, and then she said, we got to get together. I said, sure. So we, she said, let's, let's plan a date. This is like in August. We pull out our phones. She's like, October 4th. What was last Sunday? I think it was that. Whatever it was. 7th. Uh, no, today's the 7th. October, whatever. Oh, sorry, September 30th. So September 30th. Sorry, I'm all lost. September 30th. We pulled out our phones. I did not look at that like until last week. It popped up as a, as a reminder. Oh, we're meeting them on Sunday for lunch. And I'm like, let me see if she remembers. You know, I didn't say anything. And lo and behold, I get this Thursday, I get this text. Hey, so we still on? Are you coming over? What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. And what the reality is because in August, we put it in our phones, we set a time, and then over text, we set a place. Last Sunday, we spent four hours together just talking and being together and listening to what God is doing in their life and what God is doing in our lives and different things. Time and place is so vital. There's no substitute for it. And a common community grew not only because they had a spiritual conversion that day, but because they began meeting together. And that meeting together created environments where they grew together with Christ and with each other. Hebrews 10 says these words, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Because some are in the habit of doing that, but instead encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. Don't give up meeting together. Because when we meet, there are environments where we grow in our faith, where we grow in our relationship with each other, where we can be prompted to pray for someone in our church community, where we cross the room and, say, and, and greet someone and listen to them. I saw a couple of people praying just at the end of worship together. Something happens when we set a time and a place when we meet together. There's no substitute for it if we want to grow in community. They did other stuff too. They ate together. We read that they ate together in each other's homes. 
Now, I know some of you are, 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 um, are challenged in that area because not everybody's great at that. Some people love doing that and some people don't. And no one's forcing like, uh, you to throw a party for 12 people with beautiful napkins and glasses on the table. That's not the deal. They're, but li- listen to what they did. They, there was something about eating together. Last week, we just, with this couple, we ate at a restaurant. We weren't even at a home. So I don't have to, we didn't have to prepare anything. That was awesome, right? We just ate, hung out. But over food, something beautiful happened. We spent four hours. It didn't take me four hours to have my meal. But, we, but that food around us, something becomes, uh, it, it just kind of catalyzes something. Why do people feel connected over food? There's nothing like sharing over a table. There's books and studies written on how food brings people together and how tables bring people together. And here we see this happening in the book of Acts where they ate together. They shared these meals together. So next week we're meeting for the first time in, in this new location and we're planning, you know, a public launch, you know, down the road and really want to let our friends and families and so many people know. I mean, everybody's welcome next week. But as we meet into next week, though, we're thinking like, yeah, let's eat together. Let's share a meal together. Let's, let's kind of inaugurate our, our first gathering where we can sit and spend time together and have conversation with together after we worship. Why? Because we're not just interested in attending a location, we're not just interested in kind of instituting a time slot. We want to be a community and hear each other's stories and learn how to pray for each other during the week and understand what's going on in each other's lives and grieve burdens or celebrate successes or pray over needs or serve needs. And this only happens when you're close. It does. Like if, if I, if I you know, sit with Steve for two seconds this morning and chat with him, I, we, something will happen for sure, right, Steve? But if, if we're sitting over lunch for an hour, there's more opportunity for something to happen. When you sit and, and break bread together, I mean, in the food part, something beautiful, there's an opportunity for something there. Now, food doesn't replace faith, but it brings us together and it provides a place to nurture what God is doing in us as a community. And one of the easiest ways for people to feel connected is to eat together. One of the easiest ways for someone to feel like they belong is to share a meal with somebody. So I'm going to challenge you to, to one, next week we're eating together after the gathering, so come. That's like, just put on your calendar. Don't, like, don't let your calendar stop at noon. Let it stop at like three o'clock, okay? So you can kind of hang out later. But beyond that, what if... What if you said, just like, like when I met this person back in August, you said, I'm going to put a time and place to meet with someone, another believer in our church community. Yes, we believe in meeting all our neighbors and friends and families, but I'm just talking about building community within the church for now. What if we did that? What if we said, at least once a month, I will share a meal with another Westsider, either in our homes or in a restaurant or over coffee or something, and say, I will do this, whether it's Sunday after our gathering, whether it's during the week, whatever you choose, whether it's just you and a couple of other people, or it's a multiple group, what a beautiful practice that would be. And we take what the book of Acts did to nurture this new community they came into, and we see it flourish among us. The next thing they did was they broke bread together. And this happens twice. Like, not only we read it in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, but here in this continual practice, we see that they devoted themselves to breaking bread together. 
It seems to come alongside the eating. And when the early church first started, there was no, yes, they met in the temple courts, but they didn't have buildings like this. And they didn't have, you know, they, they really met in much more communal ways. And so when they broke bread, when they poured wine, and when they remembered the death and resurrection of Jesus, it, it was all in the context of a meal. So they, they ended up spending time together. And part of that meal was breaking bread and sharing wine, not in large numbers, but this meal, the, the, this moment of breaking bread was this moment in their meal where they reflected on their faith in Jesus. They reflected on their faith in Jesus. We don't even, like for sure, the scriptures and God's word fueled who they were as a community. No doubt about it. Jesus is the center. His word is the center. But their practice was they broke bread because in that action, in that demonstration, in that physical breaking, in that physical pouring, they visually, symbolically, emotionally understood we are remembering who Jesus is, what he has done for us. And something significant happens when we do that. Now the church grew over time beyond homes and smaller buildings. And the idea of this full meal that was present when they broke bread didn't always happen. Maybe, maybe it happened in smaller pockets. But not every time they got together there wasn't a huge meal. But they never abandoned breaking bread. They never abandoned pouring wine. They never abandoned the Eucharist. And, and this food and drink isn't just to quench your hunger or thirst. Have you ever participated in communion? Have you ever left like, wow, that's satisfying. My, my stomach was like hungry. It was, gar- it was like something, and now I'm good. No, but obviously it's not to satisfy your hung- physical hunger or thirst, but it brought them to the foot of the cross. And it reminded them them of God's forgiveness for them. And around the table, they extended that forgiveness to others. It helped them talk and, and resolve conflict and see each other as Christ sees them. And it built their community. In fact, Paul instructs, when you come to the table and break bread, go and see your brother and sister first if you have something wrong with them. Don't go talk to someone else about it. Don't even go to the table first and grab the bread or the wine. Go and talk to that person that you have a conflict with and talk to them and, and understand what's going on. Before you come to this table, before you break this bread and pour this wine, go and resolve your conflict. Go and extend forgiveness. Go and even confess if you need to confess. Paul saw the beauty and purpose of that. And I believe when they shared that meal, they confronted resentment and they confronted unresolved conflict and they confronted pride. And it brought them closer to Jesus and to each other. So next week, when we meet, we're going to share communion. We're going to break bread and pour wine. Because we want, that's what we want to be about. That's what we want to be about. And I'm going to encourage you next week, try, and try this when we, when we get to communion next week. Are you struggling with someone in our church community? It's possible. I know there's people who like have a hard time with me sometimes, so maybe everybody's going to come to me and like, you know, Dave, we've got to figure this out. Um, but, you know, think about, is there someone that maybe, that maybe you struggle with or there's conflict with or there's something or they said something to you and you had never asked them why and you, it's just sitting with you and next week when we, when, we, when we break bread and pour wine, sit close to them so when, after, when it's time for, say, hey, can, I, can we just pray together before we, before we break this bread? I don't know, or can... Can, there's something that maybe I've said to you or, or maybe you just feel like you need to, to talk to them or pray with them. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And it would confront things that sometimes comes in the way of community. 
Here's the last piece, and we're going to end with this one. They sacrificed together. Verse 45 says, and this is, it's such a crazy description. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I know people fight back with that. Like, well, what was the context? Did they really sell everything? Of course, if you sell everything, then you, can't, you have no place to live. I get it. There's some assumptions here, right? And the context is maybe people staying in, in Jerusalem that came from far away and came to know Christ and, and maybe were there for a while and they didn't have food and they had no place to stay. And so there was this sense of there's this need among us. Let's meet these needs. Let's, let's be a community to these people. And, and so I'm not sure, we, we, you know, we can debate all that, but there's something, there's no doubt in my mind. Regardless of the context, regardless of who it was for, how long it lasted, did it mean they sold 100% or 80 or 30%? Regardless of what that is, the, 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 comp, the assumption here, the obvious thing is here, there's no doubt it meant sacrificial giving for the sake of others. There's no doubt it meant I'm going to take something that's mine and give it up to meet this need. There's no doubt that that happened there. In fact, the word fellowship that we talked about before means a gift jointly contributed. A gift jointly contributed. So if there's a need, maybe me and Mike jointly contribute to that need. That's fellowship. That's this sacrificial gift where together in community, we both meet that need. Or maybe we meet a need for each other or we meet a need for someone else or a whole bunch of us meets a need for someone else or we're all jointly contributing to a need. That's beautiful. And this common bond they shared implicated everyone in everyone else's need. This common bond that, they, that, that started in their faith in Christ and started to grow implicated everyone in everyone else's well-being, their social and financial and emotional and, and relational well-being. And we know that because a few chapters later, they're serving Greek and Hebrew widows. And the need's becoming so great that the apostles can't do everything they're doing and do that. So they appoint six or seven people to serve these widows specifically. So the church jointly contributing to this need, sacrificially give to meet this need. Everyone implicated in everyone else's need. Paul organized fundraisers to help churches and towns that were in a famine. Paul calls a slave owner and says, welcome your your employee, your slave back as a brother. They sacrificially gave of themselves to meet each other's needs. This practice probably confronted people the most because it required this tangible, tangible sacrifice. But it ties all the practices together because it demonstrates this commitment to well-being of other people that me and you are thinking about each other's well-being, the heart of what it means to be a Christian in community. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4. really challenged me when I thought about it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Well, let me just, before I continue, a few verses earlier, Paul says, have the same mindset of Christ. Let's, let's, let's follow Jesus' example. And then he goes on to talk, and he, he says that. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. And look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So in a moment where you rightly deserve something or rightly saved for something or rightly acquired something, you see someone else's need and you're like, I have every right 
to do this, but I see that person's need. I'm going to do something different. I felt that on Tuesday night. You know, I was thinking like we had every right to use our new location just for ourselves first. But you know what? Let's, we committed to this date. We're going to bless this moment, this opportunity. There's, we get in that. That's, think about that's a challenging verse. That's a challenging verse. I believe lots of us are part of community because we get something out of it. Right? You're part of something because you get something out of it. And I get that. That's human. But there's an equal purpose for your part in community. And here's the equal purpose. We get something from you. Here's the thing. When you're here, when you're part of what's happening, you don't, you don't, you're not only here to get something for you. You're here so I can get something from you. So, so Mike can get something from me. And Daria can get something from Marlene. Not get something, but you know what I'm saying? If we're only here to get for ourselves, but not for other people. Because we're here because other people need us. Not just because we need them. Because if it's only based on our needs, then, man, we can just get our needs met and go. If that's, all, what, if that's all it's based on. But here's the thing. A common bond is created in your sacrifice. It's not created in your receiving. We're grateful when we receive. I've given things to people and I've never seen them again. Who's more connected? Them to me or... or them, uh, sorry, yeah, them to me or me to them. I'm more connected to them because I've done something for them. They just took it, and I'm, that's cool. I wasn't expecting anything. I don't, didn't need that recognition. But there's a common bond that's created when you sacrifice. I was listening to Erwin McManus speak. He's a pastor in L.A. He's 60 years old now. And, um, and he served in some of the poorest spots in the world. And he's pastored in some of the most difficult situations. And he's also had uh, the blessing of seeing fruit in other situations but he says that for, forever, for all of his life, he's had the habit, even when he was super poor, of paying for people. He would pay for their meals. He's in an airport. He pays for the person's meal with him. He goes out to, for, with someone. He pays for them. He, he had this, just this habit. He, just, he loved to pay for people. And he started to realize, his, someone that was close to him said, does anybody ever pay for you? And he's like, well, I love to pay for people. He says, have you ever given people the chance to pay for you? He says, how connected are those people to you that you've paid for? Like, thought about it. And he realized his sacrificial generosity created a bond from him to them. But these, their constant receiving didn't always create a bond from them to him. And he realized I'm, sometimes he was robbing people of letting them create a bond with him because he just wanted to pay for them. And he realized that the beauty of that, of what that means... And, and it's incredible to think about that. He, he felt the pain of losing them in his life. And I know what that means. I know what that feels like when you give to someone and you spend time with someone. And that's happened for me as a pastor, our family. We see things, we're with people, whatever, and, and they just, they're just gone. And we, we feel that pain because there was something given. And so a bond has been created. But if there was only receiving on the other end and not giving, they don't have a bond and they leave and they don't feel that pain. And what happens, how that builds community when there's sacrifice is a bond is created more through your sacrifice for others than someone's sacrifice for you. That's what is built. 
And I think we need to fight against the idea of strictly having our needs met. You can go to Costco to have your needs met, right? When you go to Costco or Walmart or Wendy's or Starbucks or the gym or school or the gas station, it's transactional, right? Thank you. You don't really, I mean, I like, I talk to everybody, but you don't really, you know, there's not a real relationship or deep sense. Like I put gas, you know, you're like, you're like, thank you, Esso, for being here at this corner. I'm going to write you a note just to affirm your strategic plotting of your location because I needed gas today, you know? Like, there's no connection. It, they, you just went and you, you consumed and you paid and you left. And so Starbucks or someplace meets a, a need for your coffee and the gym for exercise and school for education and these stores for, for whatever your needs are and you consume and that's it and it's over with. There's no doubt that the church meets needs spiritually and relational, even physically. But true community is never built on consumerism. True community is never built on consumption. True community is built on sacrifice. It's not built on consumption. And so if we take culture's lead on what it means to be a, 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 you know, a pure consumer, we will never build community because we're only consuming to meet our needs. And unfortunately, some people and some of us in different seasons, and I'll put myself that it's happened to me, we will approach the church that way. We just come as consumers. We just come to get our needs met. We just come to get something out of it. We just come because there's something good for the kids. We just come because this is a great place. We just come because, you know, you know like, yeah, the teaching's okay. At least I don't get bored or something, because whatever, I don't know. You come for whatever, and you're just like, I'm coming to get my needs met. Community's never built that way. Even when you go to people's houses, or community's never built that way. And I, I sense that, even sitting around with some people who are serving at our location, and sensing the bond that was being created, not out of their receiving, but out of their giving. That something's beautiful is happening here. Sacrifice builds community. Fellowship is a gift jointly contributing. So simple things, eh? Meeting together, eating together, breaking bread together, sacrificing together. We don't need a degree for that. We don't need to memorize um, lengthy portions of scripture, although you do that, that would be so good for your spiritual growth. Eating, meeting, sacrificing. So simple and it reflects commitment to community. See, conversion is the foundation of our, our sense of community, but our commitment and practices turns that idea into our identity. That's why Bonhoeffer said, we quoted this last week, and I want to say it again before we close. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. The person who loves their dream of community, their ideal of community, their aspirations for community, if they just love that aspiration and that dream and that vision, if that's what they are for, but that, that it will destroy community because you're just looking at it to consume. But when you are the person who loves people around you and meets and gathers and eats together and sacrificially gives and is for others, when you love those around you, you will then create community. You will create community. Some people come to know Jesus and get saved, and they've taken that and said, great, that's for me. And they've even consumed the gospel as a product and then never let it affect their lives. And then they wonder why they don't feel that the sense of growth and community and connection that God longs for them. But the person who loves those around them 
who lives it out will create community. I wrote this on the screen. We just can't love the idea of community. We must live into the identity of it. We can't just love the idea of it. We must live into the identity of it. I came across a story, and I'll end with this. Alexander Bell, 1800s. He created the technology for the telephone. All of us who use cell phones and phones in our houses are grateful for what happened 150 years ago, you know, because of his intellect and innovation. He was known for inventing the telephone. He created the technology, he developed it, and we just say the rest was history. But in 1876, that technology wasn't being used. In fact, it was only an idea. It was only an idea. It was only sketched out, invented, but not being used. It wasn't even patented yet. And his father, on February 14th, 1876, it was Alexander Bell's 29th birthday. His, sorry, not his father. His father-in-law, who financed most of the innovation, most of the research, he went to the patents office. And without Bell, he said, I'm going to just do this. This guy's he's not acting on anything. He went to the patents office. He got the, 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 the technology patented on that day, on Bell's birthday. And literally a few hours later, someone named Elijah Gray walked into the same office to patent another machine. And guess what kind of machine it was? A telephone. Today, we don't really know who Elijah Gray is because that person came in four hours after Bell's father-in-law did. Bell would have, he didn't act on his ideas. His father-in-law did. And sometimes, this is the thing, it's not enough to have great ideas, to have great visions, to even have beautiful, genuine conversions. We need to act on them. Man, I believe Bell had faith in his telephone product, but he did nothing about it. His father-in-law put his faith in action. His father-in-law put action to that idea. So if we want to see the idea of community that God intends for us, we must live it out. We must live it out. We're going to close and pray. And um, last week I asked a few people, and, and I know what happens here, right? We say, I, I love to leave us with a practice. And so last week, does anybody remember the practice? Exactly. That, that's the problem. That's the problem. So we're going to put last week's practice on the screen. And that was last week's practice. Reach out to one person this week to help them feel connected. Why don't we extend it? One person this month, maybe before Christmas. Is that how people? Um, reach out to one person over the next little while. You can define the measurement. Uh, to help them feel connected. Pray for someone you struggle to connect with. Now, I know that we don't do this because, well, nobody even remembered, right? And so we posted it on Facebook and one person who's actually a new guest from last week said, oh my goodness, I forgot. And I'm thinking like, if you knew, everybody else forgot too, don't worry about it, you know? But, but here, if, if we could just like take this seriously and just remind ourselves of it. Take a picture of it or something and, and, uh, or go to our podcast and you can get this slide. Reach out to one person this week to help them feel connected. Pray for someone you struggled to connect with and we'll remind each other of that. But here's, I'll add this practice just because it is a second week and I want to be a high challenge person this morning. And really simple, really simple. What does it say? Everybody read it out loud. Meet together, eat together, sacrifice together. That's what the early church did after they came to Christ. And one of the most beautiful expressions of, com- of a Christian community ever in history. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for, for Jesus, your son. Thank you that through 
apostolic teaching over the ages, we have come to know and heard this proclamation of what was seen and heard in the life of your son, Jesus. His love and grace, his authority, his proclamation of your kingdom, good news. Lord, we're so grateful that we have heard about the cross, about the horrible death of your son and the glorious resurrection. And we thank you because by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have enabled us to respond to you. Respond to this news. And that has sparked and catalyzed what it means to know you personally and have a relationship with you that the life of your kingdom would grow in us and your Holy Spirit would empower us. But it also is the catalyst in what has brought us into your family and into a community of your kingdom. God, we are grateful for that, but we don't want to just rest on that beautiful achievement, the victory of the cross and the empowerment of your spirit. Lord, we want to grow it. And we want to grow in in being a church as community. And so help us, Lord, to grow with Christ as the center, obviously. But then even these simple things that the early church has shown us, why meeting together is so vital, whether it's on Sundays like this or in community groups or in prayer times or in moments that are really even simply meant to get to know one another. So then your spirit will lead us in those times to reach out or listen or pray. God, the simplicity of eating together, sharing a meal, the the vital practice that we have monthly that we break bread together. And Lord, the one that probably challenges us the most to sacrifice together. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be so opposed to the consumeristic spirit in our hearts and my heart. We pray that you would get our attention and rattle our hearts and minds with the consumerism that that has a hold on our lives, God, because every place we go and turn, we are hit and invited and even fueled with consumerism, God. May we never see your gospel as a product. May we never see your church as a Costco membership. May we never, oh God, see what happens here as just pumping gas into a car or getting the product we deserved and tipping correctly, God. That's, Lord, we just, we pray against that. We pray against the, the, the sense and the belief and worldview of consumerism that we, are ju- we swim in. Help us to grow, to be sacrificial contributors, partner, jointly contributing to one another's needs, to the needs of your church, to the mission in our city, to a movement forward, God, in each other's lives, in our church, in our own church resources. Beyond that, God, as you lead us and guide us and convict us, Lord, because we know that when we as sacrifice, a greater bond will be created. So we pray that we would become those kind of people in that kind of church. We pray all this, God, in Christ's name. Give us the, the, a willing spirit and a, and a transformed heart to act, to move forward in this way. In your name, amen.